Greetings, and welcome back to the best podcast in the minors. I am once again producer slash co-host Carter, and I'm joined by minor league dude, minor league extraordinaire, Daniel Guerrero. Daniel, you're back from Jupiter. We're, you're, welcome back from uh, welcome back from Florida. Oh yeah, I uh, got in last night. Uh, had to literally as soon as I picked up my my suitcase from like the little carousel at the airport, unzipped it and pulled out my big jacket because. Um, it was pretty pretty cold as I got off the plane, um, but yeah. And I guess uh, what you mentioned, you know, minor league dude extraordinaire. I think I only fit the the mold of minor league dude on this podcast today because we do have a special guest, uh, which we'll get to in a second. I mean, we're gonna run over, uh, go over, you know, a few different things in the minors, um, not just with Cardinals camp, but also kind of an overarching look at minor league baseball. Um, just recently, obviously, with some of the rule changes that we're going to see uh, impact the majors this year, and we've already seen impact uh, games in the Grapefruit League and Cactus League this year. Um, we're really excited to welcome our guest today um, from MILB.com and MLB Pipeline reporter Sam Dykstra. Welcome to the show. Sam, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm really looking forward to this. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Can Can you kind of give our listeners who may not know a lot of our listeners are big minor league fans. A lot of them, a lot of them, I'm sure, follow you on Twitter as well. But for maybe those who don't know, can you kind of tell us how you got into covering minor league baseball and what uh, what brings you know you to where you're at today? Yeah, uh, I first started covering minor league baseball in March of 2012, which feels like eons ago now, uh, considering how much the game has changed and especially the names. I mean, one of the first interviews I did was notable prospect at the time, Mike Trout. <laughs> uh, to give you an idea of just how long ago that was. Um, but yeah, no, th- I started right out of school. This was the first job I got. I was applying everywhere I could, um, trying to get into baseball in some way. I I grew up in Western Massachusetts, loving baseball, um, wanted to cover it f- for a living and, and tried to get in any way I could. And I started out covering games 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. Um, because that's when minor league baseball happens. And <laughs> over the last decade plus now, I- I've morphed more from game coverage into podcasts and now working for MLB pipeline direct prospect coverage in in so far as ranking guys in our top 100 working with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo and pertinent to our conversation I do the bulk of our Cardinals top 30 work as as well so um you know it's one of the 10 organizations I do and it, it's been fun to see these guys develop over the last few years and just how minor league baseball has changed now, before we get into, I mean, some of that Cardinals coverage, I mean, you are around different camps. I mean, you've been around the fall league. Uh, you've seen a lot of uh, prospects. I mean, just this spring, where where has kind of uh, spring training taken you so far? So I just got back from my own trip. I, uh, I could definitely relate to what you were talking about. I'm based out of New York City here, and I, I flew up from Florida the other day and immediately was like, why is it not hot anymore? It was hot <laughs> yesterday. When I got on the plane, it was hot. What happened? Um, but no, I, I was down in Florida. I was on the Gulf Coast side uh, for us doing 10 camps in 10 days, go, starting up in Lakeland with the, the Detroit Tigers, moving all the way down to Fort Myers with the Red Sox and the Twins, hitting one camp a day, just talking to farm directors, talking to prospects, recording video, watching as much as I could on the backfields and major league games. Um, it was a lot of fun and just trying to pick guys' brains, like what's new for this year? Um, what are we looking at in your system You know that could change in 2023? Were there any overarching trends you found from that out of, out of curiosity? Like was, you know, what, there's been a lot of changes in baseball, obviously, right? Everyone's dealing with pitch clock stuff, and and but that kind of stuff's been around in the minor leagues. What what has been the overarching themes uh, from camps this year? Yeah, I think if I asked any farm director, like, or in my conversation with farm directors, the question that came up most that was kind of general speaking and wasn't specific to a player was, how is the evaluation of speed changing? Because we saw this in the minor leagues, you know, steals have been up the last few years. The caught stealing rate has gone down. And that's because, you know, increased base sizes, the engagements rules or disengagements rules, I I should be saying, um, you know, you, you can't have multiple pickoffs. You can't be picking off three times unless it, you're going to get the guy. So n- guys are getting more green lights. What does that mean for how you evaluate really fast prospects? Do they need to hit as much as they once did? Like, are we going to have a kind of revolution in the Terrence Gore types who are just going to have major league spots now for the entire year and not just in September and October because it's going to be easier than ever to steal a bag. And that's has value. 
getting an extra 90 feet, turning a single into a double is more valuable than it ever has. So maybe you're willing to carry a guy with a sub 300 OBP. It depended on the farm director. Sometimes they would always say, hey, listen, we want all our guys to hit. And that's still our emphasis. And in some cases, especially when they're talking about 40 man guys, it's like, hey, this is just another way for this guy to stick around. And that's an advantage to him. And um, if you have that elite speed, it's it's going to play more now than it ever has in the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, I mean, even in Cardinals camp and uh, Grapefruit League games, there are a couple guys who kind of profile as that, um, you know, speed guy, stolen base guy. I mean, Mike Antico <laughs> led the Cardinals system in, in steals last year. I mean, he's started in center field against the Yankees, has played in some Grapefruit League games. Victor Scott, uh, you know, fifth round pick from West Virginia also you know, has been, has been in big league camp and kind of profiles as, as two of those guys. So, I mean, it, it is an interesting thing that you're looking at. I mean, because steals for, I mean, I, I guess in the way, like we've seen baseball change, it's like, it's a lot of calculated risks. It's, you know, we don't see bunts because, or bunts as much anymore because it's like, I mean, guys are looking to, to drive in runs and it's not, you know, as, you know, strategic as before, but like you said, I mean, uh, that I mean the the rules kind of kind of changed that. I mean, has there been anything that you've seen like on the defensive side? I mean, we've seen shifts kind of not really get eliminated, but kind of shifts shift, I guess, in a way. I mean, we're seeing some kind of weird formations out there. I mean, I know Joey Gallo had uh with the twins kind of there was like you know, a runner. I mean, wasn't really technically a shift, but I mean, it really was a shift. I mean, is there is in a way, does that change kind of how farm directors are looking at defense? Um, I, I think it uh, maybe a little bit, I mean, just because there is more of an emphasis now on like, it's not going to be the positioning that's going to get you value. Like if we have our shortstop and we can just put him on the right side, Mm -hmm. like now all of a sudden he doesn't need the arm as much as he once did. Well, now if he's legally not allowed to go on the right side, and obviously you guys are good to talk about this with, because now Mason Wynn, like that arm's going to play as much as ever because he can't be shifted over to the right of the second base bag. Um, and, you know, sp- speaking with some folks, I don't, I don't know how many more hits are kind of coming through, but you're not allowed to cheat. Any- and I don't mean cheat, like go against mm-hmm. the rules, but, mm-hmm. you know, their whole reason of positioning guys was so they didn't have to move as much and that they could steal more, more hits away. Now, all of a sudden, you need to rely on that glove as much as you ever did. As uh, On the infield side, I mean, outfield, we haven't seen that change too much unless you're going to a Joey Gallo model. And I don't know how often we're going to see that. I was watching a Twins game where he wasn't shifted on at all, and he actually got a hit through the right side, which I'm sure he was overjoyed to have. (laughs) But now all of a sudden, if you're doing that, like you take your left fielder, put him in short right, and then you've got a right center fielder and a left center fielder. Do you need somebody like Antico or Scott out there? Like, does that add some value to that? I'm fascinated to see how that's going to play. I don't think we've seen that so much in the minor leagues just because we don't have necessarily the Deadpool hitters like we do in a Joey Gallo who are stubborn enough to not change their approach. Um, so I'm fascinated by that, but I think mostly it's just going to affect the infielders of like, if you are a true shortstop, you're going to have more opportunities now to show just how your range plays. It's, you know, I want to get into, cause you mentioned a specific player a guy like Mason Wynn. Um, He's going to have lots of opportunities this spring to kind of show that off, especially with guys leaving for the, for the World Baseball Classic, guys having opportunities in other situations, kind of moving around the infield. What we always kind of struggle with as a podcast, and not, and not to get away from the larger subjects, because I think we will come back to that a little bit later in the show. What we always struggle as a podcast is understanding how the effect, how guys like Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, Mike, you know, Michael McGreevy, Gordon Graceffo, these top Cardinals prospects are profiling outside of the Cardinals bubble, so to speak. What what do the national folks think of these kinds of prospects? Can you maybe impart some wisdom as to how the, I mean, like they're, they're top 100 guys, like we, we kind of have a sense, but like what those guys look like in comparison to the rest of the prospect pool from other franchises? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where the top 100 comes into play, right? Is that we we slot somebody like Jordan Walker, number four overall. I mean, that's pretty high. That That's, I think there's a clear big three right now, at least for us, mm. w- between Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, and Frisco Alvarez, three guys who have made the majors. But mm. outside of him, or outside of those three, Jordan Walker's our top prospect who has yet to see the majors at all, which is pretty telling, right? Like, 
having seen him in the fall league last year, I think the defense can be adequate. He's still learning it. That's clear. But like he moves well enough for a guy who's six foot five, six foot six, especially in the outfield where, you know, you don't need to move fast really quick. You just need to hit that top speed and and track down balls. And I think that thing that stood out to me most was his arm was insanely good. I mean, he was talking about having competitions with Mason Wynn of like who can throw hardest. And I think he's going to lose that competition every time. (laughs) Yeah, I think 10 out of 10. I don't know how well he's. (laughs) Yeah. But the fact that we're even talking about that in some way, like it's, it's, you could go 60 arm, 70 arm. I think we went 70 just because he's touching the high 90s when he's letting it fly out there on the grass. I mean, it's, it's really a special arm that's going to help him play and write. And if he can do that, just have any defensive value. On top of the bat that we're seeing plenty of this spring, I mean that's that's a really good player, and he's shown it everywhere he's played, and and people are taking notice. You talk about like what's the national perspective on him? He generates as much interest as anybody that we write about. Um, it's like him and Anthony Volpe, I think right now, who outside those guys that those big three that I talked about, like anytime we do anything on them, there's supreme interest because people love to see what that guy can do, and I think he's still growing into his power not growing into his power, but like finding his power, finding a way to be a 30 home run guy. Cause he hasn't been that yet, but we, we know it's in there. And I think people are taking notice. One of the most interesting guys in the system, I think to talk about from a national perspective is Tink Hence. Mm-hmm. Just cause nobody knows exactly who he's going to be when he's making five inning, six inning starts every fifth day. The way they've treated him with kid gloves so far is to their credit. Like his stuff has been exceptionally good, and we're seeing more of that this spring, especially with the breaking balls. But the fastball movement has always been really good. Um, but what happens when he's pitching into the sixth inning? We just haven't seen that yet. So it, it makes him a question mark. If you want to lean into the upside, you can make him a top 30 prospect in the game right now. But we were a little bit more hesitant to do that because we haven't seen it over the longer term. How's he going to hold up? And then, you know, he pitched in the AFL last year, was only getting one inning starts, mm-hmm. and the velo wasn't there. Like, he did run out of steam. So is that a sign of what's to come? Or is that just being a, a 19, 20-year-old pitcher who is pitching the longest he's ever done? It, it, there's just so many question marks there. It's a fun debate for sure. And I could see if Tinkens shoves this year at Peoria the way we think he can makes longer starts, makes more frequent starts. He's going to be top 50 at least by the midseason. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I the Tink Hens thing, I mean, that that's one of the names where I feel like when, when we look at the Cardinals and kind of those guys up at the top, especially like that 2020 draft class, right, where it's a lot about Jordan Walker and um, basically the, the case he's making to push for an opening day roster spot. I mean, then we look at Mason Wynn and the opportunities he's – or what he's done with his opportunity so far in spring, Tink Kent is almost kind of like that third person who is is not like out of the picture, but like you kind of forget. And I think a part of that, like you mentioned, is because we don't have a that clear, like crystal clear picture of who he could be. I mean, he's only pitched, what, I mean, under 61 innings in minor league ball. Last year was really his introduction, only topped out at four innings for Palm Beach. Um, what he does, I mean, what, what he's shown so far in the Grapefruit League has impressed Ali Marmol. I mean, he's talked about Tim Kent's poise on the mound. He's talked about just like his makeup um, and just kind of those intangibles that he has. But I mean, when I think th- this year, I mean, like you mentioned, could be in, in tr- like just the way uh, kind of that that year that we can finally get that full picture of you know what you know what this guy can be. Um, but I mean, I, and I know you mentioned with some of the guys, uh, obviously in that top 100, you mentioned some some of the other names. I mean, when it comes to the NL Central, I mean, is there anybody that you look at from a national perspective that Cardinals fans, that the Cardinals, I mean, probably are, are aware of that that could be a factor in the division for years to come? Yeah, I mean, when you look at who you're going to rank in that division, it's actually pretty loaded when it comes mm-hmm. to prospects. Like those Cincinnati Reds, you know, trading Luis Castillo last year and deepening their infield core and their farm system. I mean, I think it's between the Reds and the Pirates right now who has the best farm system in the NL Central. Um, the Pirates... When you say are, best, not to interrupt, when you say best, yeah. can you help... Can, can you, like, further define that in terms of, like, deepest or best top-end talent? Like, what does best mean in your opinion? No, that's, that's a great question. And I think that's something we always balance. Like, we're going to be coming out with our farm system rankings after the World Baseball Classic is over. So we're still hammering all that stuff out. Um, but when I mean best, 
it's a mixture of the two, right? Like okay. you want top end talent because those are the guys who are going to most likely impact the roster, but you also want depth. You want a system where you're going 2025 20, deep and saying like, there are some realistic major leaguers here. If you have three top 100 guys and it drops off significantly after that, I'm not going to call you a strong farm system because three guys is not a system make, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's as best as you can mix it. Sometimes there are some of these systems where there's like one top 100 guy, but I can go 15 deep and say like, I still like these top 15, even if we don't have them ranked that high, um, at least from a national perspective. So they could climb up a few spots more than just looking at the top 100 guy, like somebody like the Blue Jay system right now. They have Ricky Tiedemann, who was a breakout prospect last year, but he's their only top 100 representative. But I could list Bernie Barriere, their first pick last year, or Elvis Martinez, Addison Barger. I could go down the list and still be excited about the Jays. So it's it's a mixture between the two. But looking at the NL Central, again, Reds, I think, are, are really deep, especially on the infield. And you can go throughout their top 30 and find some somebody interested. There's somebody interesting. Uh, the Pirates are right there, too, um, between the first overall pick a few years ago and Henry Davis. I really like the pick they made last year, Tamar Johnson. Andy Rodriguez is another breakout prospect at the catching position um, for them. Those are the two that I think are clearly, I don't want to say clearly, but like are likely better than the Cardinals in the NL Central, at least in terms of best farm system. Um, but it's a it's a good group overall because the Brewers have a lot of outfielders led by Jackson Churio, um, their breakout star last year, what reached double A at just 18 years old. And the Cubs keep getting deeper. I mean, they they made some shrewd trades. They get pre- Pete Crow Armstrong straight up for Javier Baez. He's now their top prospect, and we've already seen him look like a an elite center fielder in spring training this year. We knew that coming into the year. Uh, but I think it, in terms of like depth, the NL Central might be the deepest division for farm systems right now in baseball. You meant, I mean, just to go back to a point you made, I mean, I, I think it was a, a really good one of, you know, teams who have, you know, just three guys in the top 100. I mean, that doesn't, you know, three guys doesn't make an entire farm system. Um, and I remember at the beginning of last year, uh, you guys had, I think there were only three Cardinals in the top 100. I think it was Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libertor, and Jordan Walker. And then at the end of the year, or at least by the midseason, I mean, we saw other names join that list. I think Gordon Graceffo kind of shot up that rank after, you know, he got off to a good start in Peoria and got to Springfield. Uh, Alec Burleson was another guy who really was one of the most consistent hitters in, you know, almost all of AAA last year with what, what he did at Memphis. I mean, just how is, is that something that a trend that you've kind of seen from, you know, when it comes to top 100 of, of, farm systems or organization, just adding guy that many guys throughout um, the year. Cause I want to say there was maybe six or seven of, of Cardinals prospects that were, that were in that list um, at the end of the year. I mean, compared to where it was uh, when, when the original one came out. Yeah. On, on our new one, there are five. So there's mm-hmm. Walker win, hence Graceffo and, and Burleson and, and Libertor was somebody we discussed as well, um, who was right out on the outside. Uh, he's going to graduate soon. So I don't think he's going to get on there anytime soon, but like, again, top 100 esque prospect, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to the Cardinals credit, they draft really well. You mentioned that 2020 draft class. I'm amazed they did as well in that as they did, because there was so little information about a so, lot of those guys. So few rounds as well. Right. So few rounds too. <laughs> like the fact that we're talking about five top 100 prospects and four of them came from that draft. That would be good in any year, but like especially that year when there was no spring, uh, I'm fascinated by. But then they also develop guys well. I mean, like we haven't mentioned Cooper Jerby this year, but mm-hmm. he's on my list of like if he does as well as Graceffo did last year, he's a top 100 prospect with that funky left-handed delivery. Uh, he just needs to prove it in pro ball like Graceffo did. But like the stuff is there for him to maybe take a jump this year and be one of the best left-handed pitching prospects in baseball. I think – one of the debates I always have with farm directors, not debates, but questions is like, are you an organization that tries to make everybody the same of like, here's our philosophy, here's who you're going to be, and we're going to bend you to our will? Or are you an organization that tries to play to everybody's strengths, which is harder, hard to do? Like, you only have so many coaches. You can't be sitting by every player and just being like, let's formulate a plan specifically for you. It's easier to just have everybody try to hit the same way. But the Cardinals do a really good job of that. They're not trying to make Mason win into Jordan Walker, right? They're not trying to make him into a slugger. 
They're trying to make him into a guy who can hit and field well and throw the bar really hard. They're not trying to make Tink Hens into Gordon Graceffo, right? Like they're not giving them the same plan. So I think the Cardinals consistently are those organizations or one of those organizations that they might not start out with all the top 100 guys, but you can bet somebody's going to pop up. We don't always know who it's going to be, but Brendan Donovan was the example last year, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was not a top 100 name. And if we were to go back and list all of the prospects we had at the start of 2022, he's probably in the top 100 now because development doesn't stop once you reach the major leagues. Uh, But they were, they had him in their system and they continued that development and that's to their credit. And they, you know, it's just some of these organizations are better at that than others, and the Cardinals are definitely on the list. And that's kind of a funny point because, like, if you told somebody at the start of 2022 that a Cardinals rookie second baseman would exactly right finish yeah. top <laughs> top three in rookie of the year voting and win a gold or win a gold glove, you'd think, oh, well, Nolan Gorman got to the majors and you know really was the guy he he was you know we thought he was going to be. Um, obviously, you know he that. Uh, got to the majors, you know, hit, I think it was like 30 overall home runs counting triple A and, and, and in the pros, but it's like Brendan Donovan really, like you said, was that overlooked guy. I mean, once he got that opportunity. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 it's, it, like you said, I mean, it, it development doesn't stop at the majors. And that's something that I think we always hear. Um, I think Ollie Marmol's talked about that before with, with guys who gets the pros. I think of, of one of the big things that he's talked about is, kind of the the maturity and the kind of mentality of a lot of these guys. I mean, what is that? I mean, cause sorry if I sound like I'm rambling or kind of searching for words, but okay. um, you, you, I think you see that. And in the way that Jordan Walker talks and does interviews and in the way, uh, you know, also Mason Wynn kind of a, talks about, you know, what he needs to, to work on. Um, I mean, what sense do you get from times that you're, what sense do you get from like other organizations and those philosophies and that aspect of how guys handle their development? Like why, why do these guys seem to be really willing to buy into yeah. that? Yeah. I think that part of that is, is knowing who you draft, right? Like hmm. all, all these guys have, were chosen by the organization to join the organization. So you want guys who are going to buy in. You want somebody who's excited to develop and, and know that I can't do X, but I'm going to work at it. Like, I'm not going to get frustrated by it. I'm not going to um, try to make myself somebody who I'm not. I, I am willing to be coached. I mean, a lot of that just goes into scouting, right? And I think the Cardinals do that as well as anybody, of scouting guys and knowing who they're acquiring, know who they're drafting, and can we work with you, <laughs> right? Like, are, are you somebody who's going to work with us, and are we somebody who can work with you? Because if not, then we won't draft you. Like, that's just not... Why, why would we try to go through that? Um, so I think they just, they know the players that they're selecting. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why, like they probably took Jordan Walker where they did because he was a question mark coming mm-hmm. into the draft. I mean, it, we think of him now as like a surefire major leaguer, a national ro- national league rookie of the year contender, all these things. But you look back to like where he was in that draft. I mean, he was a really big guy who a lot of people didn't think would stick at third base, which has turned out to be true, but he wasn't even a top 20 pick. I mean, it's it, there were enough questions about who he could be offensively. Like, are people going to eat him up on the outside corner? Is his big frame going to work against him at the plate? And to his credit, it hasn't happened yet. He's been a 300 hitter everywhere he goes. Um, so the, the Cardinals identified something in him that they could use and something in his personality. And here we are, not even three years later, talking about it as a major league guy, which is much quicker than development typically happens. Not to put a crude phrase, but it 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 it's a running theory we've had on the on the show for a very long time in terms of especially when it comes to the draft is that psyche valves are just as important as tools, right? Like coachability is just as important as being a physically gifted athlete. Is is that are are there guys like it, it seems like guys like Brendan Donovan and you know just because you mentioned him that when they get their chance in the major leagues and they show it off. And they're not the most like toolsy guys, but they're, but they're grinders. They do things professionally. When you're making your evaluations, how much does like evaluations? That's a really funny way of putting it. <laughs> but like when you're making your lists and and you're you're and, and and you're evaluating players, how much does like conversations with coaches, um, conversations with players, kind of getting to know these guys personally factor into the way you're like this? I think I'm my list. This guy's number. 25 instead of number 29 because of the mindset. Yeah. I, 
I won't let it affect my rankings too much. I'll say that because okay. I think sometimes makeup can be a slippery slope, right? Mm-hmm. Fair. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, I'm getting along great with you guys, but like, let's say I don't get along with one of you or something. And then all of a sudden one of you is a source for another story and says, I have makeup issues. Well, that's like one source for that. And Oh, sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just a slippery slope of, of somebody having an ax to grind against, against a certain player because of their makeup, because they weren't coachable one day, something like that. But that being said, I will take positive feedback into the mindset of like, this is a guy who could climb up, right? Like they could turn that personality into tools. Much, much of what I do is much more perform. At least my process is much more performance-based and tools-based. Cool. Like, what are you showing me on the field and what can you do next? But every once in a while, you'll get a story and you kind of file that in the back of your head of like, hey, this guy is a supremely hard worker. He's been doing X, Y, Z over the offseason. Once he starts showing me that, it's like, okay, I, I know this is a guy we can push in the future. What What is the, uh, once these lists are uh, published, I mean, you have, you know, list made, checked it twice. Um, you know, it's it's out there. I mean, what what is the first initial response from fans, from from you know readers of is it is it a hey why is so and so here not this guy here or you know where where is you know x player yeah i mean that's always the nature of lists right like we could rank anything we could rank the top mm-hmm. five movies of 2022 and like somebody's gonna somebody's the first reply is not gonna be hey you're exactly right nice job it's, <laughs> it's gonna everywhere, be everywhere all at once everything everywhere all at once for the record we are in agreement Nice. Okay. Uh, I just put together my list last night. That's why it's top of mind. But um, anyway, the, yeah, I mean, the, that's the nature of social media. That's the nature of Twitter. Mm -hmm. No matter whenever you're putting out an opinion and that's really what these lists are. It's an informed opinion at the end of the day. Um, Somebody's going to try to say you're wrong. Now you try to do all the research you can, you try to get all the sourcing you can to get it into a good place. And I will say, I, I do think this Cardinals list is in a good place. I think there there's going to be some shuffling. There always is. I mean, again, I did a lot of research on last year's list and Brendan Donovan made, made it look silly quick, but I remember talking to people even this spring in the Cardinals organization and them saying like, Brendan Donovan wasn't a 15 guy, top 15 guy internally for us mm. going into the year and he, and he broke out. I mean, that's possible. These guys watch these guys all the time um, and new things can happen. And that's what I love about this job is you can do all the world, all the work in the world. And these guys are doing that same work to make you look silly. Uh, and that's great. Like kudos to them when it happens. But the the initial reaction is always, hey, why is so and so so low? Or <laughs> this guy's bad. Why do you have him so high? And listen, we write reports that are 250 to 300 words long trying to explain our reasoning right like this is what Mm -hmm. this guy is doing this is why we have him as a 60 hit tool instead of a 70 whatever um so i encourage people to just read the reports like don't just look at the list read what we wrote because that's where the bulk of my work goes in it's not into placing guys it's to writing them up and backing up why we put them where we did okay so the lists are coming they're on their way the work has been they're out they're out there the 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 work has been put in um we kind of have a thing on this show where we have i i call them pet prospects guys who who don't get the same amount of love who um we see something daniel and i have separate ones who like we see something in that like either fascinates or confounds about that that kind of player for me it's mike antico because i see him i saw him last year as the kind of guy who could like show up on a playoff roster and be a playoff hero because you can steal a bag and play defense. And that's the kind of thing that can like all of a sudden win you a championship. Um, and then he's turned into something completely else, which is now, now it's an in-show an in joke at almost as, as my, <laughs> my interest in my interest in Mike and Tico. Is there a guy in, in maybe, maybe I, I can ask you for two guys. Like, is there a guy in the Cardinal system and then a guy nationally who, um, piques your interest maybe in in a more odd, less obvious way or confounds you in some way. Yeah. Uh, can I give you two in the car system? You can give me well, five if you want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you 30. Name, let's go through all let's the, go 30. Through the whole yeah, just, yeah. just name all 150 minor leaguers in the system. Yeah. No, uh, no, for the, for the Cardinals specifically, uh, Leonardo Bernal, mm-hmm. I was just, uh, he was somebody who I had like middle of the list. And the more I wrote about him, the more I was just like climbing him higher and higher. We ended up with him at number 11, um, which is 
one spot outside the top 10, but like this is a really strong top 10 to begin with. He's below Jonathan Mejia. And I think the only reason for that is Mejia's a shortstop you know. versus a catcher. And mm-hmm. like if Bernal ends up 60 40 in a catching platoon, that's going to hurt his value. But like the guy defends really well. He hit pretty well last year. Uh, you know, we had him on a 55 arm tool, 55 fielding tool, solid hitter all around. He's a switch hitter. They were aggressive with him. Uh, one of the, things I always take with doing these rankings is like the organization can tell you one thing, but how do they act? So when they send Leonardo Bernal to Palm beach last year, like they did skipping over the Florida complex league, that's pretty telling, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. telling that they think they have something here and that he can be pushed. What is the next step? We'll have to see, but like, he's still a teenager to be pushed like a catcher like that and deal with a pitching staff of guys. Some of whom have been in college. Is pretty telling. Like it's the I'll go the other way, and Yvonne Herrera we have at number nine, but it was kind of telling to me. You know, when you go out and get a Contreras on the free agency market after years of saying Herrera is the next guy and the Molina replacement, it's it's telling to me that you don't think that guy can be a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's probably more of a backup long term. Now he's close to the majors. He's still young. He can figure stuff out, and that's why we have him at nine above Bernal. Bernal has too many stops to make in between, but like it's it's a lot closer than I would have guessed uh, by the midpoint of last year. We'll put it that way. And the other one I want to throw out real quick, who just made the list at number 29, and you guys mentioned him before too, kind of in that Mike Antico slot is Victor Scott yeah. out of West Virginia. I'm really fascinated because it, I know they talked about this after the draft. They really liked his power, like who he could be, but he's never really put it together. Like the raw power is there and he hit 222 last year at Palm Beach. I think part of that is like his swing is a little too uphill. Like he's putting balls in the air, which are catchable fly balls. If you're hitting line drives and grounders, especially with somebody, his profile being top of the line speed, the more ground balls he hits, it's almost to his advantage, right? The more infield hits he can pick up. If they implement a swing change for him and he's all of a sudden slugging 400, 450, with that speed and letting him fly out in center field, like he could definitely climb into the top 20, even higher than that. We'll see. Um, it's just how willing is he to do that swing change? And is that enough to draw out some power? But he's definitely somebody I have circles is like, they may have found something in him in, in a kind of mid round pick. Mm-hmm. I think the, the Bernal uh, point you made is interesting. Just I mean, and literally in t- uh, had a quick chat with Gary Kendall, the Palm beach manager the other day. And, um, Talked about, you know, kind of Bernal savvy behind the plate. I mean, it seems like he's a little bit, in a way, wiser than than kind of his age ter- shows. I mean, uh, reminder, he's 19. For he's the only list. 19. And yes. it, it, it's kind of interesting because I feel like in the Cardinal system, there's this interesting kind of pack of, of really teenagers, especially down like that Palm Beach, Florida Complex League level. I mean, Bernal being one of them, Juan Bencho being another one who's really this interesting prospect, um, still really just growing into his body and, uh, you know, just getting uh, custom to playing baseball in the U.S. and just obviously also assimilating to U.S. culture. Um, Joshua Baez is another one who, you know, we didn't get to see a whole lot of last year because of the uh, hammock bone injury uh, return to Palm Beach later in the year after missing three months. Um, just kind of on, on a note of, of this of these lists and just kind of the way you make them and formulate them, how early does this process start for you? I mean, it's kind of always flowing, right? Like you're always mm-hmm. trying to check in with these guys and just because you set the list, we're one of the um, prospect lists out there. Everybody does it a little bit differently. But for us, if a guy graduates, we replace him immediately, right? So it, it doesn't stop. It's not like, okay, the list is down. Uh, I don't have to touch this again until the midseason. You're always checking in with who's the next guy up. Like I have a list of, of 40 guys mm-hmm. that – I was considering to rank it, it probably is that closer to 50 or 60 actually the long list but then you have to limit it to like all right who are the next five candidates and then all of a sudden you're gonna have Moises Gomez <laughs> Leroy right. Jensening out of nowhere and just being like because <laughs> I also had the race system but there were, so I knew who yeah. Moises Gomez was like I knew the power potential it's just he never hit and now all of a sudden he is hitting he's still striking out a lot but he's still hitting and then you're talking to sources of like is this legit or is this just a flash in the pan for two months because he's a good power hitter who has seen double a before. Um, so it's always evolving in that way. 
But like in terms of ramping up again for midseason, it's really checking in with guys around July of all right, what is real here? What have you guys seen? Who who's dropped off, who's climbing, um, that kind of stuff. But you're always looking for the next guy up, especially in these organizations like the Cardinals, who could be making trades, right? They're contending. Mm-hmm. Um, the trade deadline is a is a hectic time. Again, one of my other teams is the Padres. So when they trade <laughs> yeah. so much of that, that for Juan Soto. And I'm sitting there on trade deadline day trying to be like, all right, who can we stuff into the back end of this system? Uh, it's it's one of the invigorating and stressful parts of this job, but it's it's fun finding these guys, too, and being able to say, like, hey, Moises Gomez is now a ranked prospect for some other people just because they they wait a little bit longer to update mm-hmm. their list. Not that there's any right or wrong way of doing it, mm-hmm. but um, ours is always updated with the latest info. So you kind of became a de facto Nationals team as, as well. And, the Nationals uh, it, are my other team. So it was oh, kind so of you nice. had both sides yeah. of that. Yeah. You so I knew exactly all those guys over. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I know exactly where they're slotting into this system. I don't have to do any of that. Uh, but like <laughs> on one hand, what were the rumors around that time? He could have gone to the Dodgers like the Dodgers were talking to. And in that case, Jim Callis does our Dodgers list. So he would have lost a lot of prospects. And I would have been like, sorry, Jim, but like I will take them all now. And rank them for the nationals. But when you're working both sides of that trade, it gets very stressful. Got to find out where to place everybody. Um, I wanted to get your perspective because I'm very excited for the World Baseball Classic. I've been staying up late. Uh, We often joke on the show that like the the differences between like the World Cup in terms of soccer and football or soccer slash football. uh, The the St. Louis Post-Dispatch has a particular style in which they want to call it. Uh, So I'll say it's soccer. Uh, we can ignore that um, about how different the two things are. Cause it's like, we joke that like at the world cup this year, if you go, like you can go play your way on to like a bigger club by having a really good um, world <laughs> cup. Like we, we, we saw like a handful of Canadians from, from my perspective, all of a sudden they played really well in the group stage and they went and signed deals in Europe, which is really exciting for them, but that doesn't happen in baseball. Uh, but what, I'm curious about is if you see some opportunities these some of the you know some guys have going to play for their countries or playing for countries uh, at the World Baseball Classic. If there's maybe an opportunity to play their way into public opinion, into the public eye, and boost their stock to a certain extent, or is this entirely a uh, just a fun experience for some guys going to play for their countries? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it becomes more of like an interesting bio note. I think. More than like mm-hmm. you're, we're going to bump your stock up over a handful of games. It's interesting you mentioned that. I've never really thought about that. Like you talk about uh, who who was the player that Chelsea just signed, the midfielder. From- oh, Enzo. Well, Enzo Fernandez. Yeah, Enzo, Enzo Fernandez, Fernandez is the best right. young player of the tournament. Chelsea has this hundred you know million pound transfer yeah. purchase for him. I mean, even uh, I can't man. You know, Thomas sure. Rodriguez is the, the other yeah. example, right? Like Madrid coming in I, big for him. Yes, yeah, so there's another. Uh, I, Sorry for, you know, my U.S. men's national fans, national team fans listening to this. If this is a, a Mexican soccer podcast, I know, but um, but I can't remember the player's name, but also transferred to to Leeds United. To oh, Weston Tyler McKinney. Adams. Yes, Weston right. McKinney also, you know, had had a, that move after I me, mean, but sorry to interrupt, but go on. <laughs> no, no, right. But like, so those moves happen. I definitely mm-hmm. hear them, but like, I, I never really hear about sample size with right. the way yeah. in, in soccer right. that we talk about it in baseball. And maybe that's because soccer is a 90-minute game. You're always out there, right? Like, you're not getting at-bats in soccer. Maybe that's right. something to do with it. Um, but I, I think it's just like if you have a good run in the WBC, that's great for you, and maybe that allows you to carry some momentum into the season, some confidence. But we're not going to bump somebody into the top 100 because they had a killer WBC. Now, on the pitching side, if they start showing better stuff, mm-hmm. this is just more data. Than anything, like if mm. somebody's a prospect and they're throwing 97, 98 in the World Baseball Classic when they were touching 95 at the end of last year, like that's just more data for us. That's another data point to consider. Um, but if you throw four scoreless innings and you're still showing the same stuff you did last year, it's not a reason to really bump you yet. It's just you had a good outing. You had a good day. Good for you. That's that's a big spot and that's awesome for you. But if the tools haven't changed, uh, it's not a big deal. I'll give you an example of somebody I'm watching closely and somebody who I wrote about in Florida, uh, Carter, you'll get enjoyment out of this. Hopefully, Edouard Julien, 
mm-hmm. uh, who batted leadoff for Canada the the other day in their exhibition against the Cubs, second baseman. This guy led minor leagues and walks two years ago. He he consistently puts OBPs up above 400. He reached base around 50% of the time last year in the Arizona Fall League. How is that approach going to go against you know some of these deeper teams? I mean, they're going to be in the same group as the U.S. and Mexico. Don't I know like, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> but he could be like, yeah, he could have a strong tournament. And yesterday he batted leadoff for them. He's not particularly fast, but he gets on base in front of Freddie Freeman. Like, what does that, what does that mean for him as he's trying to prove to the Twins that he's near major league ready? Again, this is just more data for us, sure. but it he could have a 600 OBP in the World Baseball Classic, and if it's over three games, it's still the Edward Julian that we know. It's a three-game hot streak rather than a... Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a fascinating note, though, is about, like, it's it's less about, like, outcomes and more about showing something, toolsy, like a toolsiness or a skill that you maybe didn't show before, right? Like, there's going to be opportunities. Like, I, I look at it, like, again, same, same kind of thing. There's lots of guys pitching who aren't... That's kind of the big question of the tournament is, like, how does how do pitching rotations stack up against some some of the deeper teams right like the canadian team is going to have a really tough time keeping up in that pool because they're going to go up against lineups like team usa and, and and stuff like that so if a guy comes out and shows an ability to you know extra velo extra action on a breaking ball he's been working on all off season that's just more data points to work from rather than like oh he kept them to you know one hit over four innings like that's just stats that doesn't that's not as meaningful Right, right. Yeah. I mean, like you look at, we were talking before about the Dutch national team, the, or the, the kingdom of the Netherlands, and they had Franklin Van Herp, who had a wicked breaking ball, but like it, it looked incredibly good on TV. You know, I'm not sitting there behind the right. plate in Taiwan with a gun, but like it looked great. But if I'm a scout, I'm not going to my team and saying like, we need to sign this guy. It's more, all right, let's go scout him more. Like where, yeah. where can we find this guy? Is this going to play over a larger sample? It's it's just more info, information than anything. Yeah, Sam. Uh, when you talk about like data, obviously with data, influ- I mean, sometimes these things are just numbers. But when we look at kind of Statcast and Baseball Savant and how that has such, I mean, a big influence in the game and how we judge players and judge what they can do. I mean, how has that changed in the way you've kind of viewed prospects or rank them? I mean, because I, I feel like I know we talked about Mason Wynn earlier. Where he's kind of like this dude. I know fans see the, you know, 100.5 mile an hour throw and they say, okay, who cares? I mean, he needs to field the ball and hit the target, but I mean, he's doing both of those things and he has this electric arm or you see guys who have this insane, you know, uh, exit velocity or spin rate on, on their pitches. I mean, just what has that, I mean, in the time that you've, you know, been covering the minors and ranked prospects, I mean, how has that really influenced things? Is that one of those things where, where, I mean, there's, data and metrics that show like, Hey, this guy has that potential to be this, you know, X player. Um, but you know, even though the numbers in his stats or the baseball card doesn't show it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely helpful. I will say that. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting uh baseball savant data from the Florida state league, especially <laughs> with the Cardinals has been yeah massively huge because I can tell you Victor Scott, the second has top of the line speed, but then when all of a sudden I can point to you and say, like, he had 11 of the 12 top sprint speeds for all of Palm Beach for the entire season, that's just more evidence, right? Like, that. go back to what I was saying before of, you know, we write these reports, we assign tools, but then we have to write them out and explain to you why so-and-so is ranked a certain way. And I love evidence. I don't want to just tell you scouts like this guy's speed. I want to point you to saying this is exactly how fast he is here's what his home to first times were here's what his top line speed is um in, in the case of mason Wynn, like i can tell you he throws the ball really hard and you can see it on video but all of a sudden <laughs> when i start t- saying triple digits nobody's doubting that 80 grade anymore not that anybody ever was but like it's so much easier to go a full 80 on somebody like that once you have that data um but in terms of how has it changed i mean it, I don't know. I think sometimes we get a little too caught up in the data. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's a mixture of the two, right? Like that that's it's just another thing to consider. Because if you have somebody throwing 98, you could be like, "Oh, that's awesome." And then you talk to scouts or you talk to coaches and it's like it's a flat 88 or it's a straight 88. There's no movement on it. Um some of that comes through in the Statcast data, but you know, uh, there are people who see the pitch every day and if it's getting banged, it's better than or it's worse than the velocity. 
so you, you need to combine the two. But having that extra data, having that extra evidence is huge. Uh, and it's one of my favorite things that has come to the minor leagues the last few years. Sam, we've kept you away from your, your job, your life here for for almost an hour. So we're, we're, we're going to get you out of here soon. Um, Daniel, if you, if we want to split up maybe one or one question each to close this out, uh, I, I can go first because I'm, I'm prepared. Uh, but if there, Sam, if there's one thing across all of minor league baseball this year that you're um, excited about, interested about, a, a storyline to follow, not just from the Cardinals, but all of minor league baseball, what what's something that you can point our listeners to as like, this is, you know, the thing I'm most interested in heading into 2023? Yeah, I think the big thing this year for me is we are another step away from the pandemic, which that lost year hurt minor leaguers. It, mm -hmm. it did. Like it was a lost year of development and it's taken a while for some of these guys to catch up. And there are guys who have still thrived. Like it, you could look at the minor league season as a whole and be like, oh yeah, there were guys who hit 30 plus home runs and, and guys who had ERAs below two. Like there are going to be standouts still. But now we're coming off two years of baseball again. Mm -hmm. So guys have found their feet a little bit. Last year was much more normal than 2021. This spring is like the first normal spring training we've had since 2019 really yeah. uh what is that going to mean for guys like guys are fully ramped up now there's no excuses there's no work stoppage there's no like pandemic holdouts or um separation or anything like that so i think this is the year when you could kind of see like those excuses are gone what happens now to some of these guys that they have those their feet under them like a tink hence you know like what happens now that he's not being handled with kid gloves mm -hmm. anymore. He probably still will be a little bit, but like those training wheels are coming off for a lot of guys. And I'm super excited to see what happens. And just going back to what I said about speed before everybody saw how stolen bases went up last year and they were learning through that process. Okay. Now we've learned it. Now what's the next step? Do we get even more aggressive? Are we going to see a Billy Hamilton type? You know, Billy Hamilton stole a hundred plus bases when I was first starting in this job. Is anybody going to get there? Somebody could. I would love to see it. Mm -hmm. That would be great, especially if we know that it's now a major league rule. Uh, it's one thing for it right. to be a minor league rule and maybe a question if it's coming to the majors. It's in the majors now. So what is the trickle-down effect of that? I think we could see potentially even more stolen bases at the lower levels this year, and that's that's certainly an exciting brand of baseball. I mean, on that note, with the new rules, I mean, there's some that, you know, we've seen in the minors the past couple of years that we saw in the fall league. I mean, what... I guess preview can you give to to fans to you know like the traditional baseball the way it is i mean what assurance can you give them about the rules coming this year and the ones on the way of you know this sport is going to improve or stay the same um in in just the way it's played and the way it looks yeah i mean if you've been to a minor league game in the last few years you know the pitch timer the pitch timer shouldn't be new mm -hmm. to you but listen we, we love getting new minor league fans so there are going to be people who show up who <laughs> might not have seen it yet you know, who may not live in a major league city and haven't gone to a game yet to experience it. I don't know how many games you guys went to last year, but how much crisper it is. Mm. You're getting the same amount of baseball. That's the thing that I always come back to. There are still 27 outs. There are still nine innings. You have to get those 27 outs on either side. There's going to be a winner. The action is still happening. But the time between pitches, the time between at-bats is shorter. And you can't look down anymore. <laughs> it's amazing how quick it happens. Everybody's seen it this spring. I'm sure your listeners, anybody yeah. listening to this right now, have experienced it. But seeing it in person is a whole nother animal because it, it's like almost difficult to go up and get a beer or get a hot dog. Mm -hmm. like you want to get that stuff early <laughs> and get in your seats because the thing's moving. It is humming. It is not just the fact that it is half an hour shorter. The action is so much more better paced, I think. And it's a more enjoyable product that way. I mean, I grew up, like I said before, like I grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in the time of Nomar Garcia Parra. Guy stepping oh. out of the box, fixing his gloves. I did it. I was 10 years old and I was like, I want to be like Nomar. And I remember my dad rolling his eyes as hard as he could, just being like, this is insane. You don't need to do this. But it just, it seemed like everybody needed their routine. And now we're showing that you can have a routine, but be in the box, be ready to hit, get the pitch, know what pitch you want, and let's go, let's move. Um, and, you know, I, I encourage everybody to check it out in person. Because I think once you see it in person and you realize 
how much faster of a pace to game it is, but there's still home runs. There's still strikeouts. There's still all the exciting stuff we love to see. It's, it's been a real joy to see it in the minor leagues and I'm looking forward to it again uh, here in a couple of weeks. Funny, the joke that I've made uh, when it comes to, you know, the game moving quicker, it's like me, me coming from SoCal, like Dodger fans who show up, you know, in the, you know, first pitch at seven ten, and they show up late because they get stuck in traffic. It's like, well, I mean, you're going to be showing up in the I mean, third yeah. or fourth inning at, the, at this <laughs> point. <laughs> Well, especially Dodgers fans, like and then you leave no early. more Pedro Baez, you know, right. like oh, the exactly. age of, which uh, I know that clip was going viral last yeah. week, whenever that was, but like uh, even before that, Pedro Baez was difficult Slow. to watch. And uh, growing up again, watching Red Sox Yankees games and having them go four hours because everybody's <laughs> stepping out of the box, taking six pitches. You can still take six pitches, but the the at bat's going to be shorter. Um, so yeah, no, it's. It's crisper. I, I, crisp is the key, key word, and I, I think it's just so much more enjoyable. Sam, can you tell us where we can find your work, how we can, how our re- listeners, readers can support you before we uh, set sail here on this episode? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Um, all my work is on MLB Pipeline, which is MLB.com slash Pipeline or MLB.com. I, I have stuff up here on the homepage as well. Some of my spring stuff appeared there. Um, also, some of my stuff is on the official website of Minor League Baseball, MILB.com. And I co-host the weekly podcast for Minor League Baseball, the show before the show, alongside uh, Tyler Mom, Benjamin Hill, and Josh Jackson. So multiple ways you can find me. Anywhere you find me, I'm always happy to be found. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me on this, guys. It was, it was a real joy. Thank you for joining us. For Sam Dykstra, Daniel Guerrero, I'm Carter Chapley. Uh, keep it locked in on stltoday.com and STL Pinch Hits. We'll be back next week with another episode. Daniel Guerrero is back in St. Louis now, so we'll be in studio again next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Like, comment, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.